The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 34 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're taking a look at Avengers number 32, The Sign of the Serpent. This week's issue is written by Stan Lee, art by Don Heck, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in September of 1966. So that's right, this issue, Don Heck is doing his own inks, and you can definitely tell, even just from the first page, that something is different in the art. Now, before we get into that, obviously we have our cover page. I like the cover in general, although I think Goliath might be a little too prevalent on the cover. We've had a a number of the last few issues have been fairly Goliath-centric, and I'm looking forward to moving away from that and back into more of a team effort. Now, to be fair, while there is a lot of Goliath in this issue, it is, in fact, I think, more team-centric than probably the last two issues have been. So our issue opens with the Avengers returning home from the events of last issue and inadvertently tripping their own alarm system. Now, I've been saying for a long time, it's about time that the Avengers actually get a decent alarm system, given the number of people who have broken into Avengers Mansion in the past 32 issues. However, an alarm system that you trigger yourself may have a few kinks that still need to be worked out. However, with a little bit of teamwork, the Avengers manage to disable the alarm and start going about their business, getting ready to kind of come down from the last mission. And as they're blowing off a little bit of steam, Goliath gets really kind of sad and starts talking about, who am I kidding? I'm not the old giant man. I can't return back to normal size. And Cap has absolutely had it. At this point, Cap decides, especially because, hey, I'm the group leader, I've got to do something. So he actually wings his shield at Goliath. And initially, I mean, Goliath certainly doesn't have a particularly positive response, and neither does Wasp. Though, Hawkeye tells Wasp, hey, stay out of this. Cap's on to something here. Give him a little bit of room to work. I think he knows what's going on here. And... Sure enough, after a little bit of a scuffle, Cap manages to get inside Goliath's head a little bit and reminds him that, hey, you're the best biochemist out there and you're the one who's going to fix yourself. Or to put it better, he gets Goliath to admit that to himself. He goads Goliath a little bit and pushes him in order to get him to really brag about himself a little bit and realize that, yeah, I am this great. And if anybody's going to fix my problem, it's me. At first, Goliath is a little, I mean, he's upset. But as soon as it dawns on him what Cap is doing, he's actually very grateful to Cap. And, I mean, it really shows on Cap as being a very strong leader, even though he's kind of attempting to step aside, really, as leader of the Avengers. It really shows how strong a leader he is in that he knows exactly what needs to be done to motivate his people. And that the motivation for Goliath is different than the motivation for Hawkeye, is different than the motivation for Wasp, and he makes use of that. I also like the idea that Cap has 
acknowledge that he is really holding the leadership of the Avengers in stewardship for the original Avengers who decided to take some time away. Now that Goliath is back and Wasp is back, Cap is fully willing to step aside and let them take back leadership as the more senior members. And Goliath really says, no, I've been on the team longer, sure, but you're the leader, I'm not. And it's things like this that really shows Cap's level of leadership. Now, after this exchange, we cut to a different part of the city where we see a gentleman in a suit surrounded by several individuals in, in similar costumes, and they identify themselves as the Sons of the Serpent, and that this gentleman is not welcome. Most specifically, it's because he is a foreigner, a bystander who unfortunately is unwilling to help or do anything while these men assault the gentleman, identifies the, the man in question as Mr. Gonzalez. So, someone of a Hispanic background and the sons of the serpent identify him as someone who is not born here so not born in the United States and they assault him for it as we learn through the next several panels this is the purpose of this organization is to protect America from foreigners to keep American blood pure now obviously for those of us especially who live in America there are certainly similarities to things we are well I think familiar with so obviously given the time period that this book is written in the sons of the serpent have a lot in common with nazi germany i mean obviously stan lee joe simon jack kirby all world war ii veterans and again this is also the 1960s so there are groups such as the ku klux klan that are very much in parts of american society and very much espouse this kind of anti-immigrant violent behavior so from a historical context that's kind of what we're looking at here but us as modern readers see this you know, unfortunately we see a fair amount of parallels to our modern times as well especially when we start looking at the sons of the serpent meeting in which we see really everyday middle class white americans involving themselves in this organization and i'll touch more on the sons of the serpent and their relation to to various groups here at the end of the podcast but that's something very strongly implied here is that relationship to various groups like that now, at this particular meeting, there is a dark-haired woman who we identify as Black Widow. I like this because this is Black Widow attempting to infiltrate this organization, and it really is her trying to find a way to bring herself back from the bad things that she has done, whether of her own volition or because of the brainwashing she had undergone at times. She wants to be a hero at this point and kind of atone for what she's done and also to an extent, you know, earn back the trust of Hawkeye, right? The two of them are just starting a, a new budding relationship again. So she sees this as a way to undermine this organization and help build her credibility. And we will see her more later, I believe in this issue and then definitely in next issue. While all of this is going on, Hank Pym is off in his laboratory, starting to work on a solution to his problem, but he runs into a bit of another problem in that Jan has been assisting him, and, and traditionally has been for quite a while now, but because of his size and the fact that she is not necessarily a biochemist, at this point she's actually getting a little bit more in the way than she's helping, and so Hank Pym decides that he needs to hire a proper lab assistant. So as Jan storms out, Hank Pym decides that he is in fact going to try and find someone who can help him with his research and we'll see him reach out to individuals here in, in just a minute but before that we cut back to Black Widow who's now in costume who makes her way to Avengers Mansion to talk with Hawkeye 
kind of like what I was just talking about. She actually is a little bit more blunt about what's going on in terms of she's here that she can prove she can be trusted to Hawkeye and to the Avengers. The whole scene is very flirtatious. I actually, I believe this is the first time we have seen Hawkeye out of costume, outside of possibly the flashback when he was talking about his past with swordsmen. I, I, I don't believe he was in costume for that either, but that was a, a flashback. I think this is the first time we've seen Hawkeye out of costume in, in the present time in Avengers. And I like the scene between them. It's very flirtatious. It also gets the point across that Black Widow is really trying to turn herself around. And Hawkeye has these feelings for her and she has them for him. And he even says, I should say, he thinks to himself that, you know, when she looks at me a certain way, my heart just melts. So as I mentioned, Hank Pym is looking for a lab assistant, and he's been through a number of people who aren't qualified. We don't see it, but it's discussed that he can't find anyone who's qualified enough to work as his assistant. So he tries one last thing. He calls up Tony Stark, whom we all know as Iron Man, but of course, Hank Pym only knows him as this super inventor. So he figures if anybody knows someone who is of the caliber of scientist I need, it's going to be Tony Stark. And lo and behold, hold tony knows exactly who to send hank's way and that is bill foster now bill foster is the biochemist and although currently just a, a regular average human being looking into the future bill foster will actually take over the mantle of goliath from hank pym he himself will become a member of the avengers Unfortunately, Bill meets a very tragic fate in Civil War when he is killed by the clone of Thor. But until then, he serves as an Avenger for a, a long time with a very positive service record. And, you know, it's really telling. Bill Foster is the only person that Hank Pym trusts enough to be his assistant, to come and help him, especially solve a problem like this that is so very personal to him. Now, in this page, in these few panels, there's some really great art and there's some really, there's a little bit of questionable art here. I love the use of shadows with Hank Pym when he's kind of just here in his lab coat talking to himself for a minute. And it's interesting because the shadows in this issue are very hit and miss. What I've noticed from Don Heck's inking of himself is when he chooses to use shadows, he uses them to great effect. But he doesn't use them all that often, and so his books tend to come off as very bright. You know, every, everything's super well lit. And so it's kind of the balance to that. Where my real issue in the art actually comes from, though, has to do a lot with Bill Foster's coloring. And, you know, this this is one of those things it has to do, I think, in large part with just the coloring styles of the time. But as a black man, Bill Foster is not very well colored, especially when compared to his white counterparts. He really just looks very ashen. I mean, his skin tone is very, very kind of a darkish gray gray color not, not like a charcoal or that but i mean it's really the color of ash and i don't know that that's particularly representative of really almost any human skin color so i think i think the inclusion of bill foster and his place in both in this story and in the avengers moving forward is important the art is still very telling of the time period now having said that bill foster is a biochemist of the first order so when he and hank start working together they click immediately 
and they are working extremely well together, very, very closely. To the point, I mean, both men start to lose themselves in their work, and Janet actually has to bring them food. Now, speaking of scientists, we have a quick flash, once again, to Eastern Europe, wherever the Maximov siblings are, and they are being experimented on by a, a doctor there who is trying to help them restore their powers. And it looks like we're having some success, and the doctor here looks great. <laughs> he looks like a combination of Einstein and Mark Twain. It's really pretty spectacular. I, I love the look of the Doctor, but again, I really just want the two back in the story. So the fact that I have four panels of them in a 20-page book is kind of disappointing. So as Bill Foster and Hank Pym are working together, Bill goes and takes a little bit of a break and goes outside. And again, Avengers Mansion is in a pretty affluent neighborhood of Manhattan, uh, right across the street from Central Park. And when Bill is on his way back to the mansion, he is attacked by none other than the Sons of the Serpent. And they beat him pretty senseless. And then they leave a calling card, which along with Bill himself, is found by Goliath. Again, I mean, playing into Goliath's emotional state and Hank Pym's mental state, he immediately spins up, hits the governor. Right? He is at full level enraged at what's happened. At this point, Bill is like, we'll deal with it. It's okay, but we have to go take this. We have to go take care of the experiment. It's at a critical state. And Hank Pym basically says, to hell with the experiment. That can wait. Sons of the Serpent can't. And he immediately calls all the Avengers together. In general, everyone is on board with Goliath. To certain extents, obviously, they don't have quite the personal involvement because they don't have the connection to Bill Foster at this point, but they all understand the level of problem that this is. And obviously, Captain America has had personal experiences with this kind of organization. So Cap actually goes and offers to talk to Nick Fury about what's going on, because there's something strange going on, and it looks like they're operating on a national scale. So so he needs to get more intelligence before they move forward. While the Avengers agree to it, obviously Goliath is, is fairly pushy and says, all right, if you're going to go talk to Nick Fury, do it, but do it fast. So we immediately cut to Captain America walking down the street in New York, and he goes into a barber shop, hands the man his card, sits down, the gentleman pushes a button, and Cap is immediately sucked out of the chair and into a back room where he is confronted by Nick Fury and several other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents because the barber shop is a front for S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's so great because that is just such a classic classic comic book super spy kind of trope especially the barber shop where you know you sit in the chair and either it lowers through the floor or it drops you back through the wall or something you see these kind of things in spy movies and, and spy comics and it's all basically the same kind of idea but it's always so cool and i guess as, as modern readers don't have quite the same connection because i don't think most of us have like a barber shop or a, a women's hair salon that's used in the same way it was in the 1960s I mean, right, I mean like my grandmother for instance in the 1950s and 1960s every week she went and got her hair done just that was that was what you did back then yeah to be perfectly honest in part because the level of physical products out there hair care products and whatnot and shaving products weren't really available outside of a barber or a salon. So you went there and they helped take care of your hair. You know, this kind of cover where you could come and go very easily made a lot of sense for the time period. Now it's just a fantastic, classic kind of trope. And if you guys haven't figured it out, I am really a sucker for that kind of thing. Now, initially, when Cap comes into the, the barbershop, he's in civilian clothing. So Fury and his compatriots don't recognize Captain America, so they greet him with loaded weapons. Of course, Cap kind of pulls his shirt open and coat off kind of in a, in a very Superman kind of revealing the S logo. This time he's, you know, he's revealing his, his star on his chest. And 
then you know the shield agents back off and fury takes cap in and shows him hey this is all the information we have on the sons of the serpent and he actually says i've been meaning to go after the sons of the serpent but first i got to go after this outfit called aim and then i'll deal with the sons now obviously you know those of us who are modern comic readers realize that fury going after aim doesn't really do a whole lot because aim is still around in modern comics the sons of the serpent have have appeared a little bit but not certainly not to the extent as aim i mean at this point aim is actually almost reputable having recently been purchased by bobby acosta who is sunspot of the new mutants so nick fury doesn't doesn't take down aim and doesn't really get to the sons of the serpent one of the other things I like about this, though, is you get a little bit of comparison and contrasting between Captain America and Nick Fury, because in a lot of ways, they are very much not the same person. They're very similar people. They have both been through a lot of the same kinds of experiences, especially involving like World War II, but they're outlook on life and their general worldviews are so vastly different. I, I love how you can take two characters that have such such similar backgrounds and just turn them maybe they're not 180 degrees out maybe 90 degrees out from each other in terms of their worldview and then just see how different their lives and their paths are. And, and I think these two characters do a, a really great job of, of showing that. Now, while all of this is going on, as often happens in New York, there is a meeting of the United Nations. And, as also is often the case, very questionable world leaders come to the UN to make speeches. In in real life, you'd get people like Muammar Gaddafi or Ahmadinejad from Iran, who would come and make very, really obscene kinds of speeches. Obviously, Muammar Gaddafi was a terrible dictator, but I'll tell you what, whenever the man was in New York for the UN, he would just do the craziest things, and I mean, at one point he had like a, like a 40 tent set up very much pulling on kind of his country's North African roots and it was just it was really kind of nuts and here in Marvel Comics instead of Gaddafi or, or Ahmadinejad we have General Chen who we have seen before as the man pulling the strings behind Black Widow he was the one pushing for her brainwashing in this case he is now here to speak before the UN and as he is approaching the UN building there is an, an attempt on his life uh, that manages to destroy the cab that is in front of his car but misses his car and this immediately makes General Chen start to question the security arrangements that are here to protect him especially because obviously he is someone that western democracies don't particularly care for so you know he starts into the the obvious well am i really safe here kind of things and you know this will this will come into play more as this issue ends and the next issue unfolds now in response to kind of what's been happening especially with the sons of the serpent the avengers hold a press conference and they publicly denounce the sons of the serpent and take questions and kind of address what they intend to do about the sons of the serpent and this gets back to the sons and specifically their leader the supreme serpent and they are not particularly pleased so after the broadcast cap's getting a little antsy so he decides to go up on the roof see if maybe he can do a little bit of surveillance you know from the air and just as he gets up there cap is sucked into the air into this cloud and vanishes next thing we know cap is on this ship and he is surrounded by the sons of the serpent he is attacked they attempt to disable him he kind of plays possum a little bit and throws off a bunch of the guards unfortunately cap is overwhelmed right they have sheer numbers and 
even a man like Captain America just can't keep up and eventually he is taken captive. Now, right as all of this happens, right as Captain America gets sucked into the cloud, Hawkeye manages to see this tail end of it. Obviously, he knows something's up. He sends off an Avengers alert. And just as the team is investigating Cap's disappearance and the rooftop, they find one of the Sons of the Serpent's markers a snake stick basically only this one has the ability to speak to give a recording and it tells the avengers that either you will join the sons of the serpent or captain america will die those are your options and hawkeye says it best is goliath what do we do now in one hand you have this group that is obviously a problem and needs to be stopped on the other hand you have Captain America's life, who not only is is your friend and your teammate, he is really symbolic of all of those things that this group is against. Cap is the antithesis of, of what the Suns represent. So as the Avengers try to figure out what they're going to do, they receive a phone call from the Attorney General of the United States. And he asks their help in taking down the Sons of the Serpent from a legal perspective, which is a little bit different for the costume superheroes because, you know, as much as we love them, they do work outside the law for the most part. Obviously, that, that is a considerable point of contention in modern superhero comics, both in the comic and the film Civil war the idea of operating outside the law very much plays a a large factor in this and as hawkeye is taking this call goliath leans over and tells him hey he said he said tell him tell the attorney general it is impossible for us to help him now goliath has a plan here though hawkeye doesn't know what it is and obviously you know we talked about earlier Captain America really being the leader of the team. Well, because Cap is gone, Goliath is really kind of forced to step up into the leadership role. And this is him trying to formulate a plan. But our issue ends basically with the Avengers saying, we don't really know what side we're going to fall in with. You know, we don't know if we're going to side with the government, if we're going to side with the Sons of the Serpent. And as the issue closes, we actually see the Supreme Serpent kind of monitoring what's going on with the Attorney General and monitoring the news and he hears that the avengers have turned down the government's request for help and at this point he is convinced that he has won and that's where we will leave off until next issue so like i mentioned obviously the sons of the serpent are a stand-in for various groups that hold this hateful anti-immigrant really twisted pro-american pro specifically pro-white american ideology and again from a historical perspective and given the people who are involved at marvel at this point in time yeah they really are a stand-in for the nazi party and their anti-minority anti-immigrant anti-jewish sentiments and i'll be honest it doesn't entirely fit one group or the other it's not entirely nazis it's not entirely the clan but this is comics doing one of the things that comics does so well is that it provides this social commentary and kind of like star trek did at the same time this ability to discuss these topics without discussing the topic right we can't talk about racism and civil rights in the south in the 1960s directly especially in a comic that is effectively at this point meant for kids teenagers right you can't come out and say it the comics code's not going to allow it parents are going to be in an uproar honestly kids may not read it you know if, if it's too specific especially i think at this point in time but if you can put these stand-ins and get the people get the readers thinking about this kind of behavior these kinds of groups 
how what's going on is so wrong that these actions towards immigrants and towards minorities, how they are so much the antithesis of what we as the American people represent. Then they take those thoughts and those ideas and they see the similarities and the comparisons with real life and they start to make those connections. Well, hey, if the Sons of the Serpent weren't okay and they're doing some of the same stuff that the Klan's doing in the South, then that's got to be wrong too. And it seems absolutely ridiculous for me to be saying that that, that it even has to be said that what the Klan did in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whenever, what they did was wrong. But again, you have to look at it historically. There's a lot of people who didn't think that was wrong. And this is how you start to change the thinking of younger generations and making them understand that that kind of thing is wrong. And this, is, this isn't brainwashing, because I know, I know some people are going to jump to that conclusion, oh, this is brainwashing. You're trying to influence the way the children are thinking. We are trying to advance ourselves as a, as a society. And these are the conversations that need to happen in order to do that. So if through comic books, I can convince people, or in this case, in Stanley and Don Heck can convince people that being anti-immigrant, anti-minority is a bad thing. And that the people who are taking these actions against Bill Foster and against Mr. Gonzalez in this issue, if those people are doing the wrong thing, then the people in real life, in my neighborhood, in my state, in the state next door, in my country, then they're also doing the wrong things and we can open up the dialogue and we can learn how to be better people and a better country and then that's really what we're getting at here it's weird because comic books have, have always been this vehicle for pushing and conversing about social change without necessarily being super in your face about it this isn't a strict discussion of politics this is a discussion about the issue the problem without the people places times the specifics as they relate to the real world because sometimes in order to wrap your head around the concept and where you stand on things sometimes you need to divorce the concept and the big picture from specific names and people and places and times and specific events that sometimes cloud the issue and it really blows my mind here how relevant a comic book from 50 years ago can be because these are still problems that we as Americans especially deal with on a consistent basis and i'm not even talking about again not specific people or specific organizations here currently right but there are groups here in the united states right now that have anti-immigrant sentiments and that have anti-minority sentiments the clan still exists this isn't the vast majority of Americans. Obviously, our general national consensus and our political climate has changed since the 1960s, but these issues aren't gone. And it's really impressive how much a 50-year-old comic book really speaks to a modern audience like this. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 33, To Smash a Serpent. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.